Hello and welcome to the Deer Retail Podcast. My name is Dylan Berg and I'm your host. Today, we're talking with Robert Sin. Robert is an investor, a writer, and an expert in the junior mining sector. We talk all things junior mining, mistakes made, lessons learned, ways to avoid potholes. Most importantly, we talk about finding an edge and some questions you can ask yourself as a speculator and an investor. Listen in and enjoy. One. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with Robert Sin. Robert, thanks very much for joining us. Hey, Dylan. It's great to be here. I'm in my kid's bedroom now, actually. I'm in an art studio. I happen to be down in Fort Lauderdale here on this Wednesday afternoon, but I like the the backdrop. <laughs> Love it. Excellent. I'm seeing a lot of kids' artwork on Zoom calls, so... Uh, you know, what better way to, uh, you know, launch a career maybe, or you never know what'll happen. Honestly, <laughs> there could be some NFT plays in there that maybe we haven't even thought about yet. So uh, uh, maybe I can get some of my kids art uh, digitized and see what we can do. Anyways, uh, so you and I've known each other for several years now, collaborated on a couple different um, companies and opportunities. Uh you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the junior mining sector, about just speculation in general. You know, I've learned a bunch from you in terms of technical analysis and just all kinds of interesting things. Um, so I'd love just to kind of kick off today with, uh, you know, just letting you tell us a little bit more about your background, how you introduce, how you introduce yourself, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Well, yeah, so I've been involved in the junior mining sector for almost 20 years. So since about 2003 and the way I got involved, which probably is a pretty uh, common story actually was through my father. A lot of people in mining and junior mining, it's a, it's a family thing, um, not on the technical mining side or the exploration side, but from the investing side, my father was, uh, he passed away in, in 2017, but he was a very, avid gold investor um starting in actually in the 70s but really he got into it in, in a big way in the 90s when gold was about i don't know 300 dollars an ounce i recall buying these saint godden's gold coins at, at, at gold uh, coin shows and from going uh, coin dealers and and then naturally that um you know, introduced him to junior mining at some point in 2001 or 2002. And from a timing perspective and cycles are so, you know, market cycles are so important in the stock market and especially in the mining sector and especially in the junior mining sector, as we've seen in the last couple of years, he happened to get involved in the junior mining sector at sort of a perfect, you know, inflection point. It was like a bottom in 2001, 2002, the sector was very beaten down and, and there was no interest in it. And then things started to really rev up uh, towards the end of 2003 and certainly into 2004 and 2005 it was a tremendous bull market run. So um, I participated in that through him. I mean, I was young, I was a lot younger than I was 23, 24, but um, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from following him and then I opened my own brokerage account with a few thousand dollars and started punting away. And, and actually uh, my first, uh, actually the first stock I bought was Northern Dynasty, uh, which for the junior mining investors experienced 
who are watching this will know what Northern Dynasty is. And um, I bought on the pink sheets with my E-Trade account at some point in 2003. I forget the exact date or the month, but I bought it when it was uh, in the pennies, you know, it was 40 cents or something like that. And I thought it was just amazing that I could buy like 5,000 shares of a company and I got extremely lucky. And in a way that was a blessing, but it was also a curse because, um, you know, I made quite a bit on my first investment. I made over $10,000 and I thought that this is easy and junior mining is just a path to riches and everything's going to be a Northern dynasty. And, and in hindsight, I got very lucky. The timing of that purchase and everything about it was just extremely lucky. And there's very few um, that are quite like that where you buy something at a, at a cycle bottom, but also a company that's about to get a lot more interest and, and, you know, develop a resource of some quite very large size and scale. And obviously I'm not going to go into that whole story, but that's a 20 year saga, right? Yeah. So you've developed a pretty diverse skill set since then. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. You know, what keeps you busy these days? Well, I mean, what keeps me busy is following uh, all the companies in my portfolio, the companies I write about, uh, and also trading markets uh, most days. I mean, so not only am I an investor, but I'm also a blogger, but I also trade you know, gold futures and S&P futures. I even trade cannabis stocks and overstock.com and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I do have a diverse skill set and I'm a very busy guy, as I'm sure, you know, you're aware of. Um, if we want to keep the conversation more towards junior mining and gold, um, there's always every morning, you know, when I wake up, there's news that companies are putting out that I read and, you know, I evaluate and I analyze. There's always new permutations and charts. There's always macro data that's affecting the gold price and the mining sector. Um, so th there's a lot to keep me busy. And actually, my main challenge is focusing and not spreading myself too thin and getting too, you know, distracted by things and, and really narrowing my focus. And I'll say that, you know, if we want to talk about lessons the past year or so, um, you know, we had a tremendous bull market run in 2020. It was one of the best years ever in the sector. And 2021 has been, in some ways, the opposite. Um, and I think that when fortunes are high and sentiment is optimistic and money is getting raised and, and, and deals are getting done, it's easy to spread ourselves too thin and sort of start investing in companies that we probably wouldn't normally get into uh, in a normal environment or certainly not in a bear market environment, right? Um, and so 2021 has sort of forced myself and a lot of us to refocus on um, fewer deals, you know, fewer companies and really tighten, you know, the focus. And this is, this is always the challenge. I mean, when sentiment is high and prices are going up, everybody gets optimistic. Everybody wants to take part and participate. 
And it's easy to get tempted into buying a stock, investing in something that, or participating in a private placement even that we normally wouldn't just because we don't want to be left out. You know, it's that FOMO factor, right? Right. So for someone that has a full-time job and is trying to keep on top of a portfolio, I mean, how many positions do you think would be reasonable for somebody to be able to keep up on when, you know, they're sort of fitting it in in their day? And, you know, I'd be curious to kind of get your take on that. I mean, this is something that, you know, you typically do every day full time. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell us how many positions you have, but, you know, (laughs) I've got a handful and it's hard to keep track of all of it. And yeah. I probably have uh, probably 25 to 30 stocks in my por- in, in the junior mining side of things uh, right. in my portfolio. And honestly, that was probably too many. Um, and yeah, it's my full-time thing. Uh, so yeah, it's not easy. I, I think for somebody that has a full-time job that's not mining focused, that's not able to attend to news and 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 follow up on it every single day i think that probably six or seven is is plenty um uh yeah i i think that if you get into the double digits you're you're spreading yourself too thin i think that if it's not your primary focus if this is more of a passive um thing for you as an investor uh you want to you know subscribe to a couple of you know, services, you know, like Eric Coffin or somebody like that, who really has 40 years of experience, does this full time where you can read their analysis in 20 minutes and really get up to speed with, with what's going on. Um, And the newsletter writer space and the whole, you know, stock picker space in the junior mining sectors, I think changed quite a bit in the last, and, and maybe it's evolved, maybe it hasn't, but it's definitely changed. Uh, over the last several years. Do you have a take on that? Like, how have you seen things evolve? I mean, even for your own model, how has it evolved? Um, I think there's just a lot more information available out there for free. There's a lot of analysis. There's so many opinions. You have Twitter, you have co.ca, you have Stockhouse. Um, there's so much information out there. It's a fire hose of, of, you know, information. 10 years ago, there wasn't all of this. And certainly when I first got involved in 2003, there was hardly anything. I mean, you yeah. had to, you had to pay for, you know, you Jim know, like an Eric Coffin or Jim Bishop or, you know, Rolston. Yeah. Um, there were a half dozen guys that had paid letters and and that's how you had to get your information if you weren't in vancouver if you weren't intimately involved in the junior mining sector you had to you had to read those guys um you also i think that you have to talk to company management you know and i really want to encourage every investor every retail investor even if this is like something you spend an hour a week on uh if you have money at risk if you're invested in in these companies at least once a month like call up the CEO, like send an email to a management um, and, and, and be in touch, like, like stay apprised of the. Honestly, it's one of the most special things about this industry is just how small and personal it can be. And uh, you know, having worked 
you know, on the corporate side and been a guy that has answered the phone. I mean, the phone rings a lot less these days. Yet, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, not a day went by when someone didn't call me and try and like get something out of me. You know, and, and honestly, sometimes you just need that extra bit of context because news releases are often really technical, uh, often lacking context. And it's hard to know, like, is this good? Is this bad? You know, like, how do you sort of approach that? Um, I mean, I think that speaking to management regularly and talking over, you know, if you're going to be an investor in the sector, it's probably going to be for more than a month, hopefully. You're going to be in it for years. Um, and you want to get better at it. So you want to talk to more companies. So you get a feel for things. You get a feel for when somebody a ceo is being really authentic and really really real with you and cares about their shareholders and maybe the ones who don't care as much and maybe aren't in it for all the right reasons and so those those conversations at conferences or even phone calls zoom is a great tool we have now yeah. uh those will give you context and you'll be able to get a feel for which companies you want to be a shareholder of and which ones you know you may not in, in many ways the junior mining sector is like buying a house you know you might look at a hundred you know listings you might actually go visit 10 or something you might make an offer on three and you might buy one i mean really like that's the way to think about this there's th uh, over a thousand junior mining companies on the venture uh so many and yeah, there's a lot in Australia too. There's so many public companies around the world yeah. and how many of them are really gonna uh, bring a mind forward and, and generate real long-term shareholder value, either through a buyout or through actually real cash flow or, or, or what have you. Well, probably a small percentage. I mean, one out of a hundred maybe, right? Yeah. So now you're in a position where, you know, you've got these, 25, 30 positions. Walk us through the thought process a little bit and how you might go about trimming that down. Um, <laughs> Tough. I mean, if I was... Questions if, here, Robert. <laughs> what are you going to sell? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of answers to that. And even though... I have 20 years of experience. And even though I've picked a lot of winners over the years, I've had plenty of losers and I've made a lot of mistakes and I, I still make mistakes every, every week, you know, um, I just had a stock drop 30% here this morning on, on bad, uh, you know, results. And so it's, it, it doesn't get easier and it's all, it, the, the, the answer to that is when the story changes irreparably, when it's it's really damaged that's when you sell but usually once that's obvious the stock's already down 70 percent or something so you've already had you know your big loss so the, the 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 trick is figuring it out you know ahead of maybe everyone else um i i think that in the junior mining sector it's really about risk management more than any other sector in the stock market almost and the key is not betting too big on any one company um, because even the best stories, the best management teams are still 
subject to the winds of the sentiment of the sector and the macro cycles and things can go wrong. You know, a lot of things can, can go wrong. So, you know, if I put 10% of my junior mining, you know, account equity, which is risk capital, make no mistake, like you, you kind of need to assume that that money, you're not going to be using that to pay your mortgage or pay your taxes. You know, you need to assume that that is at risk constantly. Um, if you put 10% of that into one company um, and you, you're lucky and you, you're a good stock picker and, and things line up like my Northern Dynasty back in 2004 and you, you catch a 10X, well, you just doubled your account by risking 10% of it, right? And then that's the, that's the upside. That's the, yeah. the, the blue sky. But at, on, on the same and on the flip side, you have to be willing to say, well, what if the stock drops 50%? Like, what if it gets cut in half? Well, now I'm not, my account equity is not permanently damaged because I haven't bet too much on that one position that's now in the red, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, and risk is a funny thing. And there's like, how do you measure it? How do you manage? Like, here's a question for you. I mean, you, you've made mistakes. You've bought this, that, or the other thing. Like, it's easy to develop scar tissue around, oh, I bought a silver stock. I'm never buying another silver stock. The one that I bought, you know, went to, you know, got cut in half or whatever. I bought a stock in, you know, pick a, pick a country. And, you know, they had some, some troubles, which happens, you know, in honestly, most of the rest of the world outside of kind of North America and Australia. Um, how, how do you manage that scar tissue from sort of clouding your view of new opportunities or even just what's in your portfolio now? It's really difficult. I mean, I remember um, in 2013, 2014, so my father's health was, you know, was, was getting worse at that time and his junior mining portfolio, you know, he had sold a lot, it gotten a lot smaller, but he was still holding on to some companies and there's a lot of scar tissue there because some of those stocks were down 90%, just being completely honest, like from his initial cost basis, let's say 2007, some of them by 2014 were down 90%. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of dilution. There's a lot of scar tissue there. And at one point it was like, never want to buy a junior mining stock again. And that's usually the recipe for a major market bottom. But that was in 2014. The sector didn't actually really bottom until January 2016. So there can be a lot of scar tissue built up in the stock market and in particular in the junior mining sector when the tide goes out. Um, and the best way I can, I can um, you know, I guess give some advice on that is don't bet too big and never underestimate the volatility of this sector. I mean, yes, it when it's going well, it can be freaking amazing. And like I said, you can have that 10X like Northern Dynasty, you can have a, which is what a hundred X if you bought it at the right time and you sold it 20 bucks, right? Which yeah. probably no, you know, nobody did, but that's the potential but it can also drop 90%. Some stocks drop even more than 90%. So if you never underestimate the volatility, it's crazy volatile. And when it's in favor, it's freaking amazing. It's unbelievable, but it never lasts. 
And when it's out of favor, it's absolutely awful and everybody hates it, but that also never lasts. Right. And so that's the best I can say is, is, is set your expectations realistically and don't bet too big. Yeah. Yeah. We're both here. You know, I mean, it's, you chase the rainbow in a lot of cases. And I think that, you know, we've had and experienced these wins and that's what I think keeps us coming back. And it keeps it, I mean, just like you said, I mean, you wake up every day, you don't know what's going to happen. Like it is an exciting dynamic space. I mean, we talked a lot about kind of some of the negativity, but I think one of the more exciting pieces to this um, you know, and it is a big puzzle and I love solving puzzles and that's, you know, a big part of what keeps me motivated is that, you, you know, you got to tie in all these different components of the story to try and evaluate, you know, cap structure team. Well, I talked to this guy, I didn't talk to that guy. And, and you're trying to pull together a bit of a thesis around, you know, how, what you might want to enter or when you want to exit. And, and uh, there's not a lot of other spaces out there. I mean, otherwise you're just sitting around waiting for quarterly, you know, earnings calls. And, and, you know, if you're scrapping it out in the big caps with, you know, JP Morgan's prop desk, I don't know, like to me, good luck. Uh, I'd rather, you know, have this a little more peer to peer, you know, can I do better research? Can I, you know, can I call and talk to more you know, management teams, can I, you know, just find an edge and you can find an edge in this space. I, I think that's a great point, Dylan, find an edge. And, and that is really the key because remember as an investor, as a trader, as a market participant, it's honestly you against yourself. There's nobody else. You're pressing the buy button. You're pressing the sell button. You're choosing to go to the beach and not even watch it for a month if you want to. It's you versus yourself. And that's really, I think, some of the best advice and some of the best experience I've gained in 20 years is that, that it's always me against myself and I don't have to do anything. And what is my edge? So am I a macro guy? Am I analyzing the bigger right. picture market cycles, the copper market cycles, or am I a micro guy? Am I, am I that guy who's talking to everybody in Vancouver or Denver or what have you trying to get an edge on the company that's going to have the next big project, right? And the timing of that, right? Um, or am I just focusing on tax law season, trying to get in with some stink bids at the end of November when nobody wants to put in a bid and, and, and people are wanting to sell for completely uneconomic tax reasons. Right. Um, what is my edge, you know? And so yeah. th that's really important. And also getting clear on your time frame. Like, are you in this for a month? Is this just a quick trade? And are you, if it goes against you, are you definitely getting out in that month? Or are you going to marry it? and be a bag holder and hold it for three years and watch it go down 90%. Like, like <laughs> what is your, what is your edge and what is your time frame and what are you willing to risk? And, yeah. and it's the, it's the hard questions. It's once you're psychologically and financially clear on what you're willing to risk and your expectations are, are pretty realistic or even low, then the rest, the profits take care of themselves. If yeah. you, you know, I mean, if you stay honestly, in the I think game, a lot of that, you know, if you have, if you have a thesis around your approach and you have a model and some criteria, I mean, 
that's how you fight scar tissue. That's how you manage risk. That's how you, you know, make decisions that aren't emotional in the moment. So, you know, that's great insight on finding your edge. I mean, that's a great question, I think, for everybody to ask themselves. So, um, you know, I know you're tight on time, uh, but, you know, I, I think you, you gave us some great pieces, you know, don't, not too many positions, um, you know, stay focused, don't bet too big, find your edge. Uh, you know, this has been great. Super helpful. And get lucky. Get lucky, Dylan. You need to get like, and honestly, you know, it's numbers game. It's 80, 20, you know, you buy so many one, like one's going to work out, but you can find an edge and improve your odds. So um, I'll get you out of here with a few rapid fire questions. Oh, <laughs> okay. Shoot from the hip. This is kind of fun. We want to help audience get to know you a little bit better. Uh, first one's a layup. You ready? Okay. Hometown. New York City, New York. Awesome. Song you most remember from high school? Don't have an answer. I don't remember okay. any. <laughs> It'll come back to How about old music or new music? My God, old music. Uh, Quick. I'd say Snoop Dogg. All right, boy. Apple pie or pumpkin pie? Apple pie. Favorite season of the year? Summer. Okay. And your strongest conviction, junior mining play. And, and you got to tell us rough average cost. Oh my God. Wow. That's such a tough question. I totally put uh, you on the spot with that one. How about you just give me one that you like that. And it doesn't have to have any idea. It doesn't have anything to do with me or what's been recent and exciting. Um, wow. There hasn't been much exciting but um i like elevation time you come back i like elevation money I, I i know that's a company that you're involved with very close obviously like i'm a shareholder so all the full disclosures i'm, I'm biased and so yeah. are you but i like elevation mining because of the location of the project projects and the fact that it's generating uh cash flow and there's a lot of room for expansion. It's been beaten to hell. And I don't think many people like it right here. So I'm a contrarian. I like elevation money. And Thank I own it. Robert, have a great day. Okay.